The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi everybody, it's Nigel Barker. I'm in New York. This is The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm with my co-host Tom Astor, who is basically foraging at the moment, foraging. He's, his family have left him temporarily, gone to school, gone to college, doing other things. He's home alone and he's foraging. Hey, Tom. I am foraging. And funny you should say, you used the word foraging when we haven't even discussed what cocktail I'm having this evening, but there's an element of forage to the cocktail as well. I'm having a forage for that. Luckily, oh, I love it. He's mixing his own cocktails too, people. Tom is someone who normally has his cocktail mixed for him because he's like that. Um, and, uh, you know, Mel, his girlfriend, has is often, you know, mixed one. Even his daughter, my goddaughter, Ava, has mixed them. Her ex-boyfriend has mixed them. All kinds of people have mixed cocktails for Tom. But he's mixing his own and he actually has the bottle in front of him, which is slightly terrifying because what that means is, is that he can mix more as he goes along, which is yeah. not always the case. So this is rather good, Tom, or maybe not. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yes, as you know, earlier on, we had a conversation, a FaceTime conversation, and you found me out in the field walking my excuse for a dog. Um, and um, I, yeah, I, it, inspired my, it inspired my cocktail this evening. Although the liqueur that I'm using was created from... Do you want me to just tell you what I'm drinking? Yes, what are you I, drinking, Tom? Come I, on, start. You're already, you're already <laughs> describing it. I, you're going to get too excited otherwise. Um, slow gin. So I'm having basically a, a slow gasm, I think it's called. And it's. Who told you that? S L O E gasm, which is a twist on the Kia Royale, which, as we know, is champagne and creme de cassis. And a slow gasm is basically slow gin, slow gin and champagne. It's very simple. Slows which grow on in the hedgerows here. Um, they form a berry, tough. aren't they? They're little berries, and they're very bitter. If, if you if you just pick them off, the, if you pick them off the hedges and eat them, they're very bitter. What you do is you you pick them and you prick them with a needle, and you put them in a bottle of gin or vodka um, with a bit of sugar in, and you close the bottle up. Then put it in your larder. You preferably do this with about 10 to 15 to 20 bottles. Doesn't matter, it depends how many slaves you picked. And periodically, whenever you find yourself going into your larder or your cupboard or whatever, you just give it a bit of a shake and then put it back. Um, and after a couple of years, the slaves infuse with the gin and the vodka. A couple of years? Yeah. You, well, they're preserved, I and mean, they're preserved in, 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 you know, in alcohol. That, by the way, people, that chiming is cocktail hour, if just in case you're wondering. So make yourself a drink. Go on, Tom. Um, and yeah, and, and then you leave it in, you leave it in your, 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 your larder. And um, well, that's quite, you can also drink it. You can also drink it um, on its own. So it's just basically vodka. With slow which, I, which I've sort of done, but I, I, I enjoy a good slow gin. In fact, I, I did a slow gin the other week, which is rather delicious, and I'm, I'm fond of it. I went completely the other way. I sort of was missing summer, and I was went to my local um, farm stand that they have up here in, in upstate New York, where you can get fresh veg and what have you. And But they had, which is probably obviously not fresh from the lo local, but they had grapefruit delicious looking ruby grapefruit. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna have some of those for my breakfast. And I kind of bought a whole bunch, rather too many. Um, and I've sort of been plowing through them. And I kind of was like, well, what else can I do with it? And I'm like, you know what? I was really enjoying it. Yeah, I never made myself one, a Paloma, which is a tequila cocktail, happens to be the most popular, and I didn't know this, the most popular tequila cocktail in Mexico. So we should probably take note, um, which is very simply freshly squeezed, ruby red grapefruit, um, freshly squeezed lime juice, and uh, a shot or shot or two, depending on how much tequila you like, straight in there. I use one called Los Dos, which I just discovered recently, which is 100% agave and literally nothing else added. And I say that because they all sort of say 100% agave, but essentially a lot of them have flavor profiles and various tannins and you know and vanilla and and all kinds of certain things just to give them a little hint of flavor here and there nothing nothing wrong with that but this is 100 percent agave um and you can put simple syrup if in if you like i've actually put in a bit of 
um, cayenne pepper to make it a little spicy. And you can also top it up with some soda water or grapefruit um, soda if you have, which is, gives it a little sparkle. So it's kind of nice. It's both sweet, sour, a little bitter, and has a sparkle to it. So really quite delicious and very summery and not autumnal at all. But here you go. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Chin -chin. And, Chin -chin. Um, Chin -chin. and not good for um, people on heart medication. Not good for someone on heart medication. Why? They're grapefruit. Very, very bad. I've actually, I mean, I knew that because I had a friend who couldn't, who um, you may remember Bill Lovelady, an old a friend of mine who's, who, um, who, told me that it's basically, um, to put it mildly, it um, enhances drug toxicity for um, basically give you congestive heart failure, drugs, cardiovolt. So basically, if, you put, if you're on heart medication, don't eat grapefruit. That's I think what I was trying to say without, without some, without- Well, there you go. That sounds incredible. Quite, quite hardcore. We're talking about, you know, <laughs> medicating yourself or whatever. You know, it, it's, it's there's something that I've been enjoying recently, which, and I say enjoying because it's making me feel a heck of a lot better. And you're going to hear about it because, because I've been talking about it recently, as well as on our social media. But it's called H proof. So this little vitamin, they call it the vitamin. The anytime you drink vitamin, it's very simple. It's it's a rather delicious chewy pill that sort of tastes like black currants a little bit. But essentially, you know, Tom, you probably, you know, you may have experienced this, you may have not, but all of us, I think every once in a while, we wake up having had a couple of drinks the night before, and we don't necessarily feel 100% the next day. You know, you might have an upset stomach, you might have, a, you might be a little foggy. We've all been through this. Well, what the H-proof is all about is essentially um, giving us the enzymes that we are lacking to help digest and break down alcohol. By all accounts, we feel that the next day when we have a little sort of, you know, we're not feeling 100% that that's because we're dehydrated. We haven't drunk enough water. Well, essentially, it's actually to do with the enzymes. As we get older, and I didn't really know this, as we get older, the enzymes we use to metabolize alcohol, um, they decrease. And what uh, this H-proof vitamin does is essentially help replace that. So it gives us more of the enzyme that helps us break down the alcohol. So in the morning, very simply, you feel better. And it's a real simple thing. You just simply take two right before you go to bed. And actually, I've been taking two before a night out too. So two before, two after people. That's my little inside tip right there. And we actually have a little special for you on the Shaken and Stirred show. Don't say we never gave you anything. If you use the code, and check this out, Nigel. That's right. Sorry, Tommy boy. The code is me, Nigel, N-I-G-E-L, at checkout. Go to hproof.com and... Um, you will get 20% off your first order and you can thank Tom and I tomorrow when you feel better. All right. Well, so, there you go. Before we move on, booze news, people. A little bit of booze news in the world. Well, the booze news today is that truly the uh, spiked seltzer is opening a hard, hard seltzer tap room in downtown LA. So why this is booze news is because I've never actually heard of a tap room that serves seltzer water. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, this is the very first of its kind. It's a, essentially a bar, a pub, that is selling their hard seltzer. It's, it's so popular that they're able to open an 8,000 square foot hard seltzer tap room in a, a, a downtown Los Angeles. And it's meant to be also about art and creativity. It's gonna be a gallery. They're gonna have cool stuff happening there. Um, it apparently can accommodate up to 350 guests and uh, it's quite massive. It's gonna be open by next spring, summer, 2022. What the fuck has that got to do with booze? Well, there's, it's spiked. It's a hard seltzer. Let's talk about water. You're still talking about water. You're selling water. Spiked water. So that's what, you know, it's what everyone's drinking these days, apparently. It's one of the most popular alcohols. The number in the top 10 alcohols sold, Tom, um, in the US last year, I think truly, or one of the one of the competitors, I believe it's truly, but it's a hard seltzer, was number four in alcohol sales, which is extraordinary. But that's just, you know, the fact of the matter is they're that popular. Um, what, is, what is seltzer? I mean, it's just fizzy Seltzer is sparkling water. Sparkling water, essentially. It's sort of fruit, fruity, sparkling water with alcohol. 
normally made out of cane sugar, so they, you know, they, they have a, it's just a very generic alcohol that's in there. Um, but it's a way of having your, getting a buzz whilst having a juice at the same time, I guess. But there you go, go, go people. So, on to our guest. So let me introduce our guest today. She's gone from high school dropout to serial entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of North America's top event staffing agency, the multi-award-winning Femme Fatale Media Group, has a matchmaking company, Lions Elite, a clean makeup brand, True Glue Beauty, a luxury watch company called Jewels, where all the proceeds go to a foundation honoring her sister, Julia Lyons, and cystic fibrosis. Please welcome Emily Lyons. Emily, how'd you do? I'm very good, thank you. Welcome. Welcome, thank welcome you. to the Shaken and Stirred show. What a real pleasure. Mm. So I got to sort of hear about you and sort of not really meet you, but through Time Magazine and Keith Grossman, who's also been a guest on our podcast. And, you know, I'm a part of that inside Keith uh, told me to send his. his love to you. Oh, well, wonderful. He's a, such a nice guy, such a such a gentleman. He was on here talking about NFTs and all the rest of it just only recently, poor fellow. As we know, that, you know, that debacle wasn't as exactly as he hoped it would go. But, uh, but uh, you know, they're picking themselves up and timepieces are going to be collectibles for sure, people. So get your timepiece. But, you know, first of all, we always get started very quickly and simply with asking you what you're having to, to drink, because we all have a cocktail here. But I, I think you have something rather clearer, a glass full of just vodka? Pure vodka, <laughs> sparkling water. <laughs> sparkling water, people. Another one of those teetotalers. I, we wonder how they get through the cracks on Shaken and Stirred show. Somehow, we, we they, you know, there's a lot of people just simply not enjoying a good cocktail. But what's your story? Uh, I enjoyed too many cocktails, <laughs> so needed a good long break. That there's, a, there's a really good. There's a, just before um, just before you came on, we did something called Booze News where we kind of find, you know, interesting stories going on around the world to do with alcohol and booze. And Nigel came, it's quite interesting, he came up with this one today. He came up with this thing about, they, they just invented this whole pub bar called a seltzer tap room, which oh. for, a long, for a long time I thought was just literally a sort of pub with different flavor, you know, different flavored waters, which apparently it is. Um, mm. Is there, in the seltzer tap room, do they cater for the for the for the non-drinkers? That's my question. Sorry, because this is the sort of thing where you can go out, have some drinks, and you know you literally have a choice of kind of well water as far as I can make out. But um, I'm running hard seltzer, Tom. Hard seltzer. It, it, you know, it's one of those things which completely confuses and and myths. Tom is the fact that there is a thing called hard seltzer, which is the fact that it is water with alcohol. It right. is. It, it, I can't get it through to him. I'm sorry, Emily, but it's not easy with Tom to, for him to actually, you know, bring him up to date. He's still, Tom right now is in Oxford in England, by the way. Mm. Um, so that, it, time difference. It's quite late it's, there. 10 o'clock at night. It's past my bedtime, yeah. Past his bedtime. It's five oh. o'clock here. Whereabouts are you, Emily? I'm five o'clock too. I'm in Ontario. Ah. Oh. There you go, Canada, which takes us back because now, now we're talking. You might actually be our first guest we've ever interviewed from Canada. Ah, no way! Yeah, absolutely. Way is, is exactly right. <laughs> you you grew up in Stratford in Canada, I did. correct? Yes, I did indeed. So you know, you've done a lot of things. You've got an incredible amount of businesses. I'm looking at you right now. You look like you could still be sort of 18, which I know is obviously not <laughs> the case. But but you have an incredible youthful look. Your, your career has sort of, and I say career because I, you, you've clearly done an incredible amount of stuff, but often when you say career, it sounds like you're talking about someone who's, and you're looking back at everything they've done, but you, you have done a lot and you continue to do a lot. Talk to us a bit about your, your, your childhood, to, you know, for, so that people can get a sense of what it was like to be young you and, and what your, 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 you know, your upbringing was like. Mm. Uh, my upbringing and my childhood was very chaotic. Uh, I grew up the middle child of two siblings who had cystic fibrosis. Mm. So it was really difficult. A lot of hospitals and staying, you know, in Ronald McDonald houses. I don't know if they have that there. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, but it was just, it was, it was really chaotic. So I think being the middle child and the only healthy one, I was constantly fighting for attention. <laughs> kind of. Can I ask what, um, what is, what are the, uh, how does it manifest itself? If, so if you have, cystic fibrosis is this a childhood i mean what is what is it how does it manifest itself to, to uh, it's a genetic disease and it's it's up until very recently terminal so 
your lungs fill with mucus. Uh, eventually it degrades the lungs. You're prone to infections, prone to lung transplant. So my sister had two double lungs, ruins the liver. You can't digest food. So you're malnutrition. So basically affects all parts of the body, but predominantly the lungs and the digestion. Uh, they recently, a company called Vertex in the States founded a gene modulator, which actually corrects the gene, the faulty gene with CF. Uh, so wow. yeah, they're, they've just approved it now in Canada for full coverage because it's about 300,000 US a year to access this mm -hmm. new drug. Um, but people are testing negative that have the disease once they're on this drug. So it's pretty incredible. Um, I, it took my sister's life in 2011 and my brother, he's 28. He's approaching the current life expectancy. But once he gets on this drug, now it basically, it takes it from terminal to manageable. My goodness. Wow. Yeah, it so it's an incredible breakthrough. Wow. wow, amazing. So, I mean, you know, just, just listening to what you were saying there, obviously you, and you, you sort of mentioned it, you know, growing up the middle child with both siblings, with cystic fibrosis and it's genetic mm -hmm. was there a, um, also a, you know you said you were you know trying to get attention because they obviously were the, if you like the squeaky wheels at that point mm -hmm. but were, were was there any element of guilt on your part too because you didn't have it that you were healthy no uh, you know people have asked me that for a really long time but no <laughs> i never had the guilt uh i guess because i was so close to them you know they were my best friends especially my sister because we were close in age and we people thought we were twins and uh you know i never felt guilty but i didn't really understand it for a long time when i was a child i just knew that she got a lot of attention and she got <laughs> a lot of gifts and Oh, like celebrities would do things for her like Celine Dion and stuff like that because of her story and having a lung transplant so young and things like that so no I never felt guilty because I never really understood it I just you know and as I came to realize my main goal was was to cheer them up and make them happy you know I only ask more more so than any, I, I do a lot of work with Make-A-Wish Foundation and mm -hmm. one of the stories you hear from the families and from the brothers and sisters and siblings is a, a story of you know some when they see that their sibling or or you know a member of their family especially if it's genetic has something that you know that they don't have and they've somehow managed to escape it or it, there is this sort of feeling of of, of of potentially you know um why them not me you know and it's sort of the lottery of life i guess you know and but you know you've certainly obviously by creating a foundation and, and you know and doing such an extraordinary work to raise awareness and everything else it made a big difference and you know, so you know carrying on with your career a little bit you know because i just was done a little bit of research you've got lots of different sites by the way there's lots of different places to find out information <laughs> I made you do about your work. oh yeah i know i was like going here going there uh, then it's like the u.s version of the of the canadian version of this and that and i'm like I'm like wow this is like a riddle i feel like i'm following like, talk about femme fatale it's like you're like a bond woman or something i'm like going through trying to 007 where is jane you know anyway um you moved to australia for a bit. I did. Yes. So what was that about? Why Australia? <laughs> Why well, you really there? did some digging. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was 19, I think, and I just wanted to get out of Stratford and not having any money or any connections or, and being a high school dropout didn't really have any opportunities. And then somebody said, Hey, do you want to be a nanny for this family? They're going to Vancouver from Australia to, would you want to go there for a month and be a nanny? I said, yeah, I'll go it was in a week or something from then so I went met the family worked for them for a month and then they were like we'd love to bring you back to Australia and so that was kind of like my ticket out so where whereabouts did you go so I was in Sydney for about six six months in Dover Heights uh and then not far from Bondi and then I moved to Byron Bay where I was for about two Amazing. years mm -hmm. that's gorgeous I, I've spent some time in Byron Bay as well oh no way yeah, no, absolutely. We shot a whole season of Top Model out in Australia and Sydney and what have you. And I actually wrote a book, Beauty Equation, whilst I was in my hotel room in Sydney right there. Wow. And it was stunning. So I'm very familiar with it. And I actually have family who live in Sydney uh, as well and in Melbourne. So do you want to know uh, a funny story? Uh, so when I was a nanny, I got a part time job as a cleaner for this woman, Tanya, and she had this company Escape to Byron and we would clean holiday homes. So it was me and Tanya and her daughter. And her daughter wanted to be uh, a performer. She wanted to be a rapper. And so she was recording all these 
these like mixtapes and her mom was lending her all this money to do things. She was only like 14 or 15 at the time. And she was getting all this flack and her mom would tell me like, am I doing the wrong thing, investing in this? And anyway, she entered Battle of the Bands in Mullumbimby and we went and watched her. They booed her off stage. Wow. Anyways, long story short, she's Iggy Azalea. No. No way. Yeah. Wow. That so it would just be the, the three of us would be scrubbing toilets. And and I remember like one time going for lunch and and uh, Amethyst is her name. She made a joke to her mom. She's like, I'll pay you back when I'm famous. Little <laughs> did she know. Yeah. But she was so certain that she was going to be famous. And people thought she was her mom was nuts for supporting it. She's like, she's a blonde, skinny girl who lives in a little tiny town in Australia. Eastern Australia. Yes, you know, but <laughs> there are a lot of, there's a lot of kind of people that come out of Australia. The Australians are a tenacious bunch of people and they sure are. Else, they, you know, whenever they leave, which they all sort of do temporarily, only just for a short period of time to see the world, it's almost like the Amish when they get that time out and they have to go see the, you know, the world and then go back <laughs> to the Amish. It's like the Australians, they all have to leave Australia and check out the world and, you know, bartend somewhere and be way cooler than everyone else because they're tanned and can surf and, you know, are cool. You know, so it's sort of, yeah, and really irritating. One of our, my good friends is Hugh Jackman and, and he's oh. just... Possibly the nicest, most irritatingly nice man I've ever met in my life. And I love him to death, but he's, he's, he's as nice as anyone thinks he is, he is, which is so sort of, talented too. Oh, un unbelievable. On all Ridiculous. levels. All, all levels. And he's a sort of national icon now, I think. Mm -hmm. He's a sort of, uh, you know, they haven't, they haven't made a statue to him. They will be soon. Um, but anyway, we, we, love, we love them. We love them very, very much. So look, going on, you know, so you, you're in Australia. I'm just trying to pit, sort of match who you are because you've gone on to create and do so many things. And I think a lot of people are looking to, for inspiration. How do you do that? How do you go from one place to another? And when you look at someone's life, you know, you obviously grew up in, a, in an unusual situation with, you know, in your family with, with the sort of your siblings going through what they were going through. You then started to get out altogether, go to Australia and have a complete change of scenery, perhaps even a reboot. You know, you'll come back, you get into sort of modeling in Toronto, right? And, and but what was that kind of modeling like? Because the kind of your, your company that you have, Femme Fatale Media Group, mm -hmm. which is an event staffing agency, you staff events with basically models to some extent, or people that could potentially be models or that people, it's a form of modeling, right? And was that the sort of modeling you were doing yourself? Or what, what was your um experience so what we do is we provide all different forms of staffing so for instance this week we've got our client is chanel and so chanel is sampling fragrance and they've got promotional models at different you know stores or oh. events that they're having that corresponding with it so it's different levels of brand ambassadors up to high fashion models which right you would know uh but a wide variety i mean we do commercials we do entire trade shows uh, event activations, things like that. But no, when I, when I moved there, I, I was kind of lost. And I was just this young 20 year old that had no idea what she wanted to do with her life. And other than have fun and try to find a job where she wouldn't get fired, <laughs> uh, which seemed very difficult. <laughs> I went from job to job to job. And I really wanted to be a model, but I was way too short and not attractive enough to be a model. But I didn't, I was determined. And so I you can't say that and then look down at the ground in some sympathy vote. Meanwhile, <laughs> you're gorgeous. And, oh my and, God. And I, and who cares how tall you are? When, you know, we clearly have petite models and you know that anyway. But anyway, carry on, carry on with all of this. <laughs> oh, I wasn't tall enough and I wasn't pretty enough. Oh. <laughs> and I'm looking down and I'm like, what, what the hell? Just, yeah, have another glass of vodka. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I just, yeah. And so I stumbled across this idea of promotional modeling and the first gig that I ever got, I was paid to go to a new venue in the city and drink cocktails and they would position the girls in the window with the idea of, okay, there was like the, 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 the district where all traders worked and stuff like that. So they'd come out from work, they'd walk by, they'd see all these women in there and then they'd go in and the place would be filled and be like, oh, this place is always filled with young women. And that was all we did was we would have dinner, cocktails, and then we would just sit at the bar and have cocktails. We didn't have to do anything else, but talk to one another, us and the girls. And I was like- You didn't have to talk to sort of random strange men coming in or anything. No. I was like, this is the best 
job ever. <laughs> so that was what I did. And I got, I think I got $150 for four hours, went there, had cocktails, had my dinner and had cocktails at the bar and, and that was it. And so, you know, my sister gave me a book at the time when Amazon was just books. She sent me a book called Career Renegade. And it was all about how to creatively monetize your passions. And so at the time I was like, I want to do this full time. I want to get paid to drink at a bar. And it was- it That's was, why we do this cocktail podcast, by the way. This right? any reason, by the way. Yeah. And so this kind of light bulb moment went off my head because it was like this, this writer, and it wasn't at all what he was getting at. It was, you know, sensibly monetizing things, but it was how you can take anything at all look at it from a new lens and turn it into a business. And so at that time I was like, well, I love promotional modeling. I'm going to make a business out of it. And so I went to the owner of this venue that I worked at and I told him my idea and he was like, don't do it. <laughs> He's like, it's never going to go anywhere. There's companies that have been around for years. They've already got established relationships with these businesses. Don't bother. You're young, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to do it anyways. And that was what I did. So I kind of had this idea. And at the time we started with providing like uh, beer girls doing the beer shots, things like that. And, uh, go-go dancers. And meanwhile, I was working all the events as well to make ends meet. Cause I quit my job. So wait a second. <laughs> Just describe what a beer girl is because we're all nodding. Like we know I'm not actually hundred percent of the show that I know what a beer girl is. And I feel like I've missed out in my They're life now that so I don't know what a beer girl anymore, is. They're not popular anymore, but they used to be really popular in like nightclubs and stuff. So they'd have like Coors Light girls with the trays, opening the beers, selling the beers. Like I got that. it. So by the way, we had something similar <laughs> back in the back in the day when I was a model in the late eighties, which we which had mostly in Italy um, in nightclubs. And they called it dancing for dollars and they would, oh, okay. pay, they would pay models from the agencies to come to the clubs, be in the clubs. Like you said, you wouldn't have to do anything with anybody. Pay the party. Pay the party. And yeah. all you would do is you dance on the dance floor. You'd have a drink yes. at the bar and people would come in and be like, oh my God, at this club, all the cute people are there. Exactly. You know, I want to go back. And that was it. Mm -hmm. That was one of our big, our big bookings for a while. We would do all the nightclubs in first Toronto, we would book pay to party models in all the clubs. And so like the main thing was get them in all the photos too. So that when the photos go up afterwards, people see the photos and it's filled with models and beautiful people. And but it's no, it's no, I mean, this is no different from Nigel shaking his head, which I find quite interesting. No, no, I'm shaking it. Yes. Yes. Not no. No, for, for me, <laughs> that's so confusing. For me, uh, it's no different, you know, making your nightclub, you know, making you know selling your nightclub making your nightclub look good or making your dress look good or making mm -hmm. your makeup look good or making your handbag look good by putting it on someone you know it's the same it's the same concept right i mean it's just but i guess the difference tom is the fact that you whereas and i think this is the only reason why it gets different is is that the actual working of the job right because if you're selling a handbag or you're in a picture yes you, it's the same process as far as what you're selling something i get that but the, the actual concept is it is a little different because I remember doing the dancing for dollars thing and they, and people would come up to you and they will. Right. So you have to, you have to learn to handle yourself in a different mm -hmm. kind of way. Plus they've had a drink. Plus it's a nightclub. Mm -hmm. So the time is getting later. And you're live. Like, you know, Basically the difference is you're live. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of places don't need to disclose that you're working. Right. Mm -hmm. cool. I yeah, if you go to a club and if you knew that all the good clubs were actually that those are not customers, those are, you know, paid for people that are there as sort of stand ins. It kind of is like, wait a second, what am I what am I doing? Is this the Truman show or, you know, yeah, no, right? this is femme fatale. People know, you know what I mean? It's like, it is, there is an element of of that. But, you know, at the same time, it's fun and games and, you know, and it's it's all is a part of the party. Still, is it still popular? I mean, do, is it still quite widespread, this this this, this concept? I mean, obviously, we've had a bit of a, a crap couple of years, but they do do it. Yeah, a lot of nightclubs do it for sure. But uh, we moved into the corporate world and that has been predominantly been our focus uh, for many years now, larger scale and kind of getting away from nightlife. But clubs still do it for sure. I mean, you know, not PC at all. But I remember in New York in the 90s, um, I went to several parties where and there were various agencies that didn't just have models but they had people of you know unusual people to be hired to go into parties so okay. i actually went to a party one time a mexican party and they actually had hired m m many people who had dwarfism and they were all wearing sombreros 
and okay, they walked yes. around with with food in their hat and the dips and you would and, and it was the most mm. extraordinary thing i'm like what is going on what is this mm. you know and i, I and i oh, it just distinctly at that point thinking okay this is ridiculous this is too much but same mm. time you know i actually asked one of the people and they were said to me they were like well it's a job isn't it you know and I was like, well, I guess so, you know, for you. But at the same time, it was I'm like, okay, this is taking advantage. You don't really obviously yeah, see that. Yeah, absolutely, clearly, you know. And sometimes I feel like even, you know, often with the modeling industry, and I've, you know, obviously spent my career in it, that there, there are times when certain times things, you know, things like that can happen where you can feel, you know, it can be degrading mm -hmm. or it can be oh, awful. Oh, 100%. You know, I, and, and all that kind of thing. Guys, you're a judge on America's Next Top Model. I mean, it, basically, your job title comes with be degrading, doesn't it? I mean, come on. Not mine didn't, but, but certainly, you know, it's, I mean, it was certainly possible. It was certainly possible where people uh, could be judgmental. I was always trying to be as constructive as possible, Tom. Come on, you know. Yeah, that. you were so nice. You were the nice one. There you go. <laughs> let's, let's not, I tell you what, let's not debate debate the meaning of degrading in the workplace. I think we should move on well, swiftly. Do you know I worked for Playboy briefly uh, after we started the company that was a client we had. And when we were actually, they came and they were auditioning girls that they wanted to have. And they took me aside and they say, we know you own the company, but would you be one of the bunnies? And so we staffed these VIP events for Playboy. Uh, it, the first one was for the anniversary of their bunny, but we would have to do bunny training each time. And after we were in our bunny outfits, they would have us line up and they would have clipboards and they would rate like she needs more red lipstick. Nice. Tony gets this. Like, he's nodding. He's going, yeah, yeah. Reminds me of something. He probably, he was probably one of the people with the frigging clipboards. What I can tell you is that I actually used to work for Playboy as well. Oh, really? As a photographer. So okay. one of my very first gigs in New York when I first got there was as a Playboy photographer. Oh, that's um, cool. But um, so years and years ago. But um, anyway, yeah, that, that, you know, and I went to, saw, went to the mansion and saw Hef and, you know, and the whole nine yards, you know, in L.A. and, you know, did all of that stuff, too, back in the day. But it's an, another time, another moment in history that the world's changed so dramatically and for the better in many ways, too. But it's interesting how, you know, and I remember the Playboy clubs and the, with, and the bunnies and the rest. There used to be a very famous one in, next to the Dorchester in London um that my dad used to even go to i mean it was very wow. different world and different how people you know how things were what what, mm. what was okay and what isn't okay now and how mm. things have changed and the world itself now you you started femme fatale with just a hundred bucks apparently in your pocket although i've seen it mm. somewhere else it said 80 bucks in your pocket yeah. i'm like which one is it 80 or 100 i i would say probably even slightly less than 80. <laughs> i really had no money i was rationing my food i remember at the time I had pasta and I was rationing it up for, for the week to make sure I had enough. You know, these sorts of stories are amazing. I think people, they see someone like yourself and they, they see your success and they just assume that, you know, that you have had, you had it easy or something or that you that, you know, you've got all this stuff and they didn't realize how hard you worked, where you came from, where, where you picked yourself up from. Um, you know, and, and you know, again, not to talk about myself, but I mentioned in my book earlier, Breedy Equation, one of the things I talked about in that was that there was a time where I was rationing myself on food when oh, I was wow. 18, 19 years old, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and, it, I, and I used to buy tuna fish in a can and I didn't even have a plate to put it on. I would pop it and eat it out of the can like I was a dog or a cat or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, but it was, and I didn't, I was excited for life, actually. Same. I was not feeling like, feel sorry for me. I was like, no, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And I was eating my tuna fish. And I remember I eventually got enough money to buy Worcestershire sauce, Worcester sauce, and I would put a few dabs on it to give it some flavor. And that was my big thing. The one good part of it is I got ripped. <laughs> I, got really, <laughs> I got really skinny and ripped because I was working out and I was just eating cans of tuna fish. I, I, I clearly no girlfriend either if you're just eating tuna no, fish. No, not much of a girlfriend. Not, no, many, not no girls at that point, actually. I, was well, just... I think that's the great thing when you start from nothing and you're coming up. Everything you get, you're so grateful for. Mm -hmm. I, I lived in a terrible basement apartment that had bugs in it at the time, and was, I was just was so happy to live on my own. Well, you, did you start this in Canada? I did, yeah. Right, right, right. We're, we're in Toronto. Is that is that where it was about where you where you were with the eighty bucks? What happened next? Yes, in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. I used to have a girlfriend in Toronto. Actually. I spent oh, a lot, of, spent a lot uh, of time. In Toronto. Oh, beautiful. I spent, 
I'm not going to start diverting and talking about Bracebridge and places like that and Muskoka and you know. All of that. Oh, you do know the area. Yeah, but different, you know, dying to talk about that, but this is about, um, this isn't about Canada, this is about you. Or maybe it is about Canada, <laughs> because, you know, Canadian dream. Okay. So what uh, did you do with your 80 bucks? Well, I didn't have any money, right? So I had to get really creative and figure out how I was going to build the business without any money. So that was when I found Facebook and I used that to really try to promote it as much as possible. Uh, gathered all of the emails of potential clients back before they had all the strict spam laws <laughs> and contacted every single one of them. Uh, I put together some gift baskets from the dollar store. Like I got uh, cheap little things and made them look pretty and delivered them to potential clients' offices, which I rode the bus to each of them. <laughs> uh, and eventually somebody called me and they said, We've had a cancellation with our usual agency. We had gotten your email. Could you fulfill it? It's in two hours time. And I had no idea whether or not I could, but I just said, yes, of course, absolutely. <laughs> we'll make it happen. And so I worked it with some other girls that I found and they paid me cash on the spot, which was a lifesaver. And they gave me two more bookings. And so from there, I was able to leverage that to go to another nightclub and say, you know, oh, we're working with this venue. Um, and then from there, we leveraged it again. And then eventually we were working the best nightclubs every night of the week in the city. And I was working them all too, because I didn't have a job. So I was dancing on bars and costumes in cowgirl outfits, because that was the bookings we got. And so you name it, I did it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but within reason. And then from there, I realized that nightlifes aren't really a nice place to work in. Uh, there's a lot of not so nice people there. And yeah. like you said, dealing with people constantly coming up to you and it, it starts to, to, to wear on you and being around all these intoxicated people all the time. And so I wanted to move into the corporate world. And that was when I tried to break into, you know, the, the, the corporate event staffing, which of course is much larger campaigns. And now you're moving into a whole other ball field. So I remember the first meeting that I went into for a really big campaign with the financial institution and the guy turned and he was like, how old are you? You're the owner. And I wanted to die. I was like, oh my God. But uh, we ended up getting that booking after I harassed him quite a bit. They had given it to somebody else. And uh, I saw them casting and trying to fulfill the spot. So I wrote him again and I said, I saw that you awarded the campaign to somebody else and you're trying to fulfill the spots with all these castings. We already have the models ready to go. Let's get this booked in and uh, whatever else. And he's like, you know what? You're really eager. We're going to give it to you. And so then again, it was in partnership with the NHL. So now I could utilize that and say, we've worked with the NHL in this big financial institution. And then, so then when we bid on another campaign, we were able to utilize that and, and kind of leverage that as well. And then eventually, then we started to move to other cities and then we moved into States and then, yeah. Done the rest is history, day. people, as they say. The hustle, <laughs> I the mean, it was a long, a long journey and a lot of failing. And I mean, I remember Googling what is marketing and here I have a marketing agency that I've started. <laughs> Well, trust me, when I was doing that kind of stuff, I wasn't Googling. I was like pulling out the Encyclopedia Britannica in a book. Really? Going, well, it is marketing in here. Lick my <laughs> finger. I'm like, you luckily just go press in marketing into Google and it all well, comes that's up. that's the thing, right? Once you've got the internet, it's like you can figure anything out. Pretty yeah. much. My wife's terrified. I, I get like a chainsaw and I'm like, where? Oh, YouTube. How do I chainsaw down this tree? Okay. And then she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I watched it on YouTube. And then, yeah, timber. Oh, shit. There goes the side of the house. Anyway, um, you know, be careful what you see on YouTube, people. Isn't that all? There may just be some idiot like me trying to do something. Putting <laughs> you know, anything happens. How do you cast your models, Emily? Uh, depends what we're casting for. I mean, at the beginning, I interviewed everyone one-on-one -on -one in a little cafe because I didn't have an office. So we'd meet at a Starbucks and I would interview all of them depending on what it was. But now I have a team that does the casting. So we get a lot of applications every day and they kind of go through. We've got a big roster. We've got over 10,000 staff that work for us just because of the wide variety of different roles that we fill and locations. Uh, but we're wow. constantly adding based on what we're recruiting for. So, I mean... Recently, we had a very specific casting for the Met Gala in New York of what they wanted, height, ethnicity, you know, a very certain skin tone. And so, again, we're casting, you know, 
for that. So it all only, depends. The, only the Met Gala could have a very specific skin tone, people. Right. It was like they wanted a, a very a, a light but dark skinned, but like it had to match a certain photo because this is what the celebrity had requested and had to be very specific and a very specific height to look with them on the red carpet. So, shaken and stirrers, have you ever had a drink or more and woken up with a headache, feeling foggy, or with an upset stomach? Well, guess what? It's alcohol metabolism that's the key, not dehydration. So enzymes in the liver actually metabolize alcohol, turning it from toxin to a harmless substance. And unfortunately, as we mature, we make fewer of these enzymes, slowing our metabolism. However, by promoting the enzymes that power alcohol metabolism, we can actually neutralize more toxins. And wait for it. H-Proof is here to help. The Anytime You Drink vitamin is your new favorite nightcap. These chewable vitamins support alcohol metabolism and help keep your liver happy. Simply take two after your last drink for a lighter, brighter morning. H-Proof is offering our listeners 20% off their first order with code NIGEL, that's N-I-G-E-L, at h-proof.com for 20% off your first order. Cheers tonight, crush tomorrow. It's really changed the industry a lot. I, I mean, at least for us, when we started, it was all super skinny, blonde girls. And now it's really changed to a lot of diversity, which is really, really great to see. And I mean, the requests we get are so different now and a lot more focused on the personality. What What's the biggest or craziest event that you've ever done? Is there one that's been like, there's something that totally uh, over the top? The craziest thing that we ever did was when we were, we've done a, a bunch of things with Drake, Toronto. Uh, we were staffing one of his birthday parties and somebody got shot in front of our models. Oh. So that would probably be the craziest one, yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. that would that would take you uh, mm -hmm. for sure. My, my goodness me. So I think I think of that, Tom. Next time you have a birthday party, you can fill it with all kinds of beautiful people, models. And all no. your friends think you're yeah. like the man. It's like Drake. It's like, hey, look what's going on at yeah. my birthday party. I've got all the girls. I'm just paying them all several hundred bucks to be here. Yeah. <laughs> like, otherwise they're out. You know, just simple that. You just pay someone to pretend to shit someone. That's much more dramatic. Hmm. Pay someone to pretend to be shot. There you go. That's the brilliant simile. How do you know it wasn't, it wasn't a request to stage a kind of shooting outside of Drake thing just to give him food or something? You don't know. Well, days. because it was, yeah, it was inside and yeah, the person was very seriously injured. But the so. person died, Tom. Or you know what I, mean? I don't like, know if they died or not. I can't remember. Oh, uh, well, then you never know. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll never yeah. find out. We I, did, I missed that. We one. did another one as well in, uh, with Justin Bieber, and he had a chain stolen, and it was all in the news. He had some chains stolen off of him. And actually afterwards, I was getting bombarded with from the media of being like, can you comment on this? They said that your models were there with him and blah, 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 blah. And you know what they, I said, if they said, we want to talk to your models. And I said, if our models decide to reach out to you, we'll let you know. And so basically to get them off my back and they published CEO and founder of Femtel Media confirms her models were with Bieber at the time of this. So after that, I never respond anymore to any of those requests. No, no, absolutely. You got to be very careful of the old, the old, the old press, but not just anything you say. Oh, she spoke to us. Yeah, you returned our call. It, Something must well, be up. Well, the you reason know. I responded was because they were our client. This particular outlet. Right. No. Well, there you go. I mean, it, it, it's like mm -hmm. you never, you never know. You never know. You know, you, you've done a lot of things. You've got this modeling agency you've also got we mentioned the the, the jewelry watch company where the, where the money goes to your foundation but you also have a lion's elite matchmaking i do what 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 first of all are you in a relationship i am yes okay you are i guess i want to make sure because i there is no real record of the other half when i could when i was doing my research i'm like where is the other half is there another half because i'm like 
all I ever saw is pictures of you by yourself everywhere, doing your thing, looking glamorous. And I'm like, wait a second, she's got a matchmaking agency? And like, hmm. Um, okay, so you've got, so what got you into matchmaking? What, what, I mean, did you, because I, mean, I had my own I sort of thought process as to how it might have happened, but I was curious, what's the real, what your, what your story is? So a few years in around 2013, 2014, I moved into the Ritz-Carlton. So in Toronto, they have the Ritz residences. And so... Uh, living there, there was really incredible people that I was meeting. I mean, Drake had a place there. There was all the NBA players lived there. And so I was having events and there was all these incredible people that were coming and knowing that people were single, I was introducing them and, and they were going on and getting married. So like I introduced my lawyer to his wife. And so then they were saying, how did you meet? And they'd say, oh, message Emily. She knows everybody. She's got this events agency. She's got all these people that work for her. She knows all these incredible people. And so I constantly was getting emails and messages from random people that I didn't know. This was back, I think, when I sold my BlackBerry. And so I just kind of looked into it and I was like, what, is this a thing? And I kind of, you know, I came across Patty Stanger and a lot of the stuff they were doing in the States. And I was like, I've already got this huge database of incredible people between the clients we work with and, you know, models that had started with us in 2009 were now going on to professional careers. Like some of them had become doctors or lawyers or marketing directors or whatever it was. And we're saying- never, never underestimate a model, people. Could go on to become a lawyer, doctor, or, you know- You would be surprised how many incredible friends, that, like how many of the girls have gone on to incredible things and guys. But, uh, and so I was like, I should start a matchmaking agency. And I love love, I'm a sucker for love and rom-coms and all that. So I launched Lines Lee and we've got clients all around the world, predominantly New York and Toronto area, but we work with a lot of really busy CEOs or politicians or celebrities that are just, they're really recognizable. So they can't generally use an app. They're too busy to use an app or they're just, you know, when you are busy, you outsource really anything that you want done. You want your place cleaned, you outsource it to a cleaner. And it's kind of the same thing. The way I describe it is really a headhunter for the heart. So kind of taking what we were already doing where we're headhunting models, but now we're headhunting for the heart. The heart hunting. The people that want legitimate long-term relationships and are serious about finding love. Is that, is that, um, do you, is that quite a rigorous, two, sorry, two questions. One is, is it, and I'm not saying this because I'm interested myself, but it, is, there, is there a rigorous um, entry procedure? And 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 is there a, is that and also what is then the procedure if if you if you if you manage to get get on into your you know onto the books that were is there is there then a sort of how do you formulate the the matchmaking itself? So the initial uh, intake is a is you have a meeting with one of my team members and yes so they screen to make sure that you're a good fit because obviously we don't want to bring somebody on if we're not going to be able to work with them. Um, so we got to know that we're going to be. Able I, to I want to ask you. I so want to ask you what what the definition of someone is who you can't work with on your matchmaking. If they're I'm not serious this. about finding a relationship, if they're still living with the person, or you know, they're just not. If there's somebody that we know that we're not going to be able to help because matchmaking is not cheap. I mean, matchmaking can go up to six figures to hire a matchmaker, so it's not cheap. No. So we want to, we're, we're never going to take somebody's money if we can't help them. So we would just be transparent and honest. We know that we're not going to be able to find somebody within a reasonable amount so, of time. So I, something I don't know anything about, actually, it's quite interesting. Again, this very, very clandestine and James Bondy-ish of you, uh, which I'm not surprised <laughs> anymore, Emily. But so you're, you're like, you know, it's a sort of six figure numbers potentially. And when you meet, when you put people together, what do you have spies in the corner talking into their sleeve going, I think she's actually going for her, her champagne. It's empty right now. Maybe <laughs> You go over and pour, and you. What happens? I mean, what is the full service here? You know, you can't just be you just let them loose. I mean, what 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 is it? Oh, it's so neat. It's so neat. Uh, so first of all, we have a we now we have a, so a software. They all go into the, to our software, and then it has a an algorithm that'll generate its its recommended matches. But then our matchmakers will also do the research as well. But uh, no, we will. Before COVID, we would go to events and we would scout people out and we would network. So we'd go to maybe like an event for Mercedes or stuff like that, where we thought our target potential clients would be there for our existing clients really was how it was. But then we would also put on events for them where we might have mics, where we would be talking to one another. <laughs> so it's called a mixer. If you've ever watched Millionaire Matchmaker, you would have seen it. 
Uh, so we would put on a luxury mat, uh, a luxury mixer, or like we would book out a box at like an NBA game or an NHL game and right. have that kind of thing there. But, and so uh, the people would go to this event of yours, show up, and you know that they would be if they someone else. Would it just be one on one situations? It's like a party, like a mixer. Like is that a party with lots so of people? A mixer would be a party with a lot of people. So say we have, you know, a forty-year-old. Uh, actor who is looking for something very specific, then we would screen and p- pick 10 potential matches that would be invited to attend this mixer, knowing that, you know, what it is, it's an event. And then people are going to be meeting him with the, the potential of hitting it off. So I've got, I've got a setup for you here. 50 mm-hmm. year old landowner in Oxford, England, <laughs> who yeah. has, you know, who, who likes walking his very skinny, like rat you know kind of you know looks like Michael. i have rat like dogs looks like michael Caine, and um you know and if someone like him came along what would you know what what, what would you is it can you do international can you find someone in the in the u.s or does it have to be like local no we can find someone in the u.s for him we can find someone over maybe in oxford i'm not really sure but I have to look into it. But I would oh. be curious about his alcohol consumption. <laughs> wow. Why well, have to match me with someone who drank less so that they could drive home? Oh, I was I thought you were gonna say to balance you out. <laughs> Is that what no, no. No, he's basically looking for a nanny. That's too far gone. No, okay. He wants a nanny. It's really what it is. It's not, it's like, can you match me with a nanny, please? <laughs> It's a I'm, completely different I, kind of matchmaking, Tom. And I wasn't—I wasn't trying to out you, buddy. I was just—I was trying to make no, it anonymous. Mm-hmm. Firstly, I've got a girlfriend. Secondly, I—I—I I, I don't think I'd make the screening for it, the initial <laughs> thing. I mean, for suitability, I've just got a feeling. But... I'm pretty sure you're right there, Tom. Actually, um, <laughs> what is your number? Do you have dating tips? Do you tell the men how to behave? I mean, some of these guys, are, I, mean, I would imagine, probably don't know what to do. They're like, if they're going to matchmakers, okay, maybe they're just busy. They also may not have much game. I mean, what do they have to do? Teach them like pickup lines. What's your number one tip? Well, sometimes, I mean, a lot of the time it's men that have come out of, maybe they've been in a 20 year marriage and now they're kind of like, now I have to date. What do I do? I haven't dated for 20 years. The world's changed. Everything's an app online. Uh, So we help them with that. And the other is an entrepreneur commonly that's now 40 years old and has spent 20 years of their life working with their head down. And now they're like, okay, Maybe I should start a family. Uh, where do I start? Uh, it really depends on the person with the tips. Uh, does, this, does this work? Sorry, does this work both ways? I mean, you say forty-year-old entrepreneur, but I'm thinking woman and man. I mean, it works the same. It's, we it's, have. It used to be all men that we had, but now we have fifty-fifty female clients as well. Right. right. So it works both ways. So an entrepreneur, female, who's had a head down, who's like thirty-eight and thinking, okay, maybe I should get on and have and try and have a kid or whatever, and meet mm-hmm. someone and. So it's, it works. So it works across. So it's fifty-fifty. That's that's interesting. That that, that that's kind of that that's become. I mean, has that happened? Ha, what has that happened? Just because and it's found a natural balance, or or is that because you were? I mean, we, did you find yourself kind of discriminating, sort almost accidentally in the first instance by finding? You know, finding... our marketing was very targeted towards men without knowing. So right. so we would right. start to get inquiries saying, "Do you service women?" So. Well, that's great. We need to rebrand because we absolutely can. Excellent. When you, for example, you're talking about obviously you have women, you know, entrepreneurs potentially, or people, you know, 40 year old women or whatever, and, and you have men as well. People you're partnering them with, are they other people on the platform or are they other people outside of the platform? Because that that's a good question. So yeah. we have two uh, membership options. One is an affiliate and it's free and you're in our database. We're not actively looking for you, but if we have a paying client, that's a potential fit, then we reach out. The other is our paid clients that have that have hired our firm to search for them proactively. So we're looking based on what they want and matching them accordingly to people that are both clients and affiliates and then outside of our database as well. Because I mean, if we've got a hundred clients say, but they want something very specific that's not in our clients. We're not just going to be like, well, sorry, we don't have a paying client, right? We want to have a lot more options and we want to be able to go outside of that. We'll even manage some of our clients' uh, online dating profiles. So if they want, if they've got profiles and they want to stay on there, but they don't know how to manage them, we'll take them over as well as part of it. 
are there are there best practices for photographs on these things? oh my gosh see that is the thing that is the men have terrible photos oh wait i can show it <laughs> terrible you don't know how many men are like this is the photo i've been using and it's him with his ex-girlfriend you know the two of them together <laughs> or like it's blurry you can't see him and he's just like it's like what are you doing so that is a constantly and my matchmakers are constantly having that issue where it's like terrible photos so we do photo shoots as part of their matchmaking process when they come on board we and Nigel's, up- next question, Nigel's next question is you know with these with your with your you know your five star you know um clients your your top clients you know it he he, he doesn't he wouldn't mind being sort of you know um it being one of your top photographers you know if, ah. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Thomas actually my agent. So yeah, my next question was going to be was that perhaps we should do a package where they get to have the professional headshot done, you know, which by the way, if I can't get you booked, no one can. So ah! <laughs> I love it. And if this has anything to do with it, you know, the ASPCA also hired me to make sure I could get stray dogs adopted. And um, trust me, after I did a photo shoot with the dogs, 95% of the dogs were adopted within a week at the ASPCA and they had an empty house. It was very simple. All if I, did, I can make dogs look good, I can make you All I did good. is take the dogs from behind the bars in the cage and put them in front historically they'd taken photographs through the bars and all the time and i'm like people are put off by someone behind bars <laughs> if you just take them on the other side oh and you play with the animal first and they're in a good mood anyway what, trust me yeah. we could work on this and what would you do well what, what would you come on the ideal shot dating agency high pro, you know what, trust what's, me, Tom, what's... when i instill my enthusiasm into the man i get him to stand there and think of all the things that got him in his life to the place he is the position he is his success and you build him up and you see his chest puff up and you realize he thinks concentrates on how lucky he's been how positive he's been the best thing a best photograph you can tell is when you can look into someone's eyes and you can see confidence you can see ki- kindness and you can see charm you know like those simple things and they say they sound you know complicated but really most people have that in them that when they see a camera they get terrified or they get lost or they look a hundred feet past it or they just they're somewhere else and so there's no connection it's all the most important thing on a cover of a magazine is some form of connection chemistry and you need to have and then people are are attracted to that and the person doesn't have to be the best looking by physically that's not what in many respects people get attracted to they get attracted to that something where they see intelligence or they see some kind of like oh this person would be fun to hang out with you know, you know, because that's what your life is about. It's about, not about this. I think, Emily, I think, I think it might not bad. I mean, for a pitch, that was pretty good. That I'd was incredible. So. I'd that's say, exactly I mean, it. Contracts on the way night. Once you know, someone's think, you know, just reel it in. You actually almost photographer. Seriously, I like you it, nailed right? that. That was incredible. I felt You're like the professional. I know. This is like, oh gosh, I'm having that. I think he said that before, though. I just feel that he said it before somewhere. I felt like it was a repeat. <laughs> That's a matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can never cut a break with this guy. Listen, I want to move on to true glue. I mean, for God's sakes, how many businesses do you have? What? This is a clean makeup. What, what does that even mean? What are you talking about, clean makeup? <laughs> okay, so 2015, we were doing the opening of Toronto Film Festival. I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, I have actually, yeah. Ah, so we were doing the opening. We had a fashion show. Long story short, one of the models had a really bad. Had a film in Toronto Film Festival. Oh, very cool! Look at you. Uh, She had an allergic reaction. I looked into it. It was the lash glue they put on. Formaldehyde is in lash glue, so I looked for a natural one for our team. I couldn't find one. I wanted one because I was wearing lashes all the time at the time. So I hired a chemist to develop an all-natural version. uh, As you do. <laughs> and we developed True Glue, which is the first and only formaldehyde free version. So there was other ones that didn't have formaldehyde, but it had ammonia and other toxic ingredients that aren't supposed to be in your eye. And I mean, formaldehyde's in the most common one, and formaldehyde's a confirmed carcinogen. By that. Isn't that formaldehyde, formaldehyde is what you put dead animals in. in when you remember when you were a kid and you're like having to operate on some poor little, I don't know, frog or something, and it was always stuffed in formaldehyde and right? stank. Yeah, it's awful. And so that was the beginning of True Glue. So I launched that and then uh, I was like, well, got to get it out there. And so as we were trying to get it into stores, they wanted, they didn't just want one skew. So I was like, well, let's build out a complimentary 
line to go with it. So we started with vegan lashes and then kind of expanded into other beauty products. But it was just kind of because again, I, I loved and clean beauty really means that it doesn't have any of the toxic chemicals in it. So it's very natural based and good for you ingredients. By the way, people, I don't know if you heard the beginning of that. I mean, which of course you did because you were listening, but she just said a lot and there's been a lot going on in this podcast. But she but she just said, you know, I, I, was, I was wearing false lashes and I was trying to get rid of the glue and, and I was, you know, and it didn't work and I wanted to get something that was better. So I hired a chemist. When was the last time someone hires a chemist to go and work out the formulation for your, because you had some problem with something? Most people just go out and find another one that worked better. You actually went and decided, no, I'm going to, it's like that sort you know, and I bought the company. It's like, what are you, what, what is that? Well, because it was like, there was, right? I was like, well, I'll hire a chemist. And then after I started to do that, I was like, well, there's obviously a niche, that, like there's an opportunity there because it doesn't exist. And I mean, worst case, I develop it and I just give it to my myself and my team. <laughs> But there you go. Worst case scenario, a Christmas you know, just, present. You've got to think bigger. You want something? Make it. <laughs> Wise words from Emily Lyons. Um, I think we've got time for just a little bit more, which is, I think, you know, why don't we do some last orders, Tom? Don't you think? Last orders. Last orders. So at the end, yeah, at the end of the show, I'll ask you a few questions, quick fire questions. Um, you don't have to, you can answer them or not answer them. They're not trick questions and they're not. It's not a sort of form of bullying or anything like that. I'm really setting this up right. I'm like, do I look <laughs> like I've done this before? Do I look like I've done this before? Because I haven't really. Um, so I'm going to ask you, and I'll only ask you a few questions. Fantasy dinner party. You've got three guests. Who are your three guests? Oh, any- well, you two and Warren Buffett. Oh, oh my God. Look at that's such a great answer. <laughs> Whatever that. I'm just going to have to write that down after. <laughs> In the movie of your life, who would you want playing you? Oh, Reese Witherspoon. That was obvious. <laughs> there we go. And really, I, I can see that. I was. I would have said it for you if you hadn't said it yourself. <laughs> um. And lastly, shaken or stirred? Ah, uh, stirred. Hmm. That was okay. And why that stirred? I don't know. That was the most decisive I just like it better. I've ever heard. Decisive, fast, and um, yeah. Wow. Much I used to up. drink vodka on the rocks, Nigel. That was oh, my drink. Well, there you go. Which you don't really stir either. You just put it on the rocks and yeah. drink it. There. You're just so stirring there. Lemon in there. Yeah. But I do think with you, you're very decisive. I mean, it seems like you've made decisions. And even when people have told you and tried to put you off, for example, starting your own you know, agency back in the day, you were like, no, nope, I'm doing it. And you mm-hmm. went for it. You were like, no, this eyelash glue does not work. Where's the chemist? I'm making one myself. And you were like, you know, matchmaking, that's right. And, you know, and it's sort of, <laughs> what the hell? What, I mean, what is next, Emily? Um, world domination. No, uh, uh, I don't know. Lots of things. I don't think I founded my unicorn company yet. I think it's still out there waiting for me to find it. You have a podcast as well, do you not? mind your business mm-hmm. it's called it's brilliant there's i mean literally the, the lady does everything so happy to have you on the show people can find you on social media as well and you have by the way a very impressive number of followers yourself i think around a quarter of a million so your own personal brand is big i didn't even get to half the bloody questions i had for you just because it just we went in our own direction on this conversation which it was I so loved. much fun <laughs> So much fun. I feel like I could talk to you all night, which is great. That's the way it should be. Um, You know, stay in touch. I would love to absolutely, you know, collaborate with you in some shape or form. I think it'll be so much fun. Look look me up when you come to New York and and maybe Tom and I can take you out for a drink. I would love that. Also, yeah, and if any of your little matchmaking, your, your matchmaking goes well and anyone wants to get married in the Cotswolds, I've got a fantastic wedding venue right here in the Cotswolds. Perfect. Beautiful place. Yeah, there we go. So, um, you know, I thought I'd get my little bit in there as well. It's a bit like one of those movies where, you know, when the Americans go over to England and the English go over to America, what was that, Holiday? That movie? Oh, I love that movie. Four Weddings and a Funeral. So good. I watched no, it all not time. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Tom. That's another one completely. <laughs> That's a very American one. That's not, not not that one. The holiday is incredibly cute. Tom's place is a bit like that. So he has a very exquisite place you know, in the Cotswolds. Oh. And 
then and it is a wedding venue and it's like a what the, there's been houses there for like over a thousand years right tom yeah it's, it's very old there's lots there's all sorts of things going on i found a, a bronze age axe head the other day from a thousand bc which is quite cool when you find something in your field which is like a thousand 800 to a thousand bc and it was still sharp it's an amazing thing i wish i had it here i could show it to you so yeah, it's it's a bizarre place. I think it's kind of it's it's weird. It feels like it feels like I'm very very. It does make one feel like one's very temporary there. Do you know what I mean? When you when you find things like that, you're like, okay. So if you yeah. are temporary, you better get on with your life and realize it's the one you've got and do as much as you can in it. Well done, Emily Lyons, for doing everything that you're doing. Extraordinary work. And what's the name of your foundation? The Julia Lyons Foundation. Julia Lyons is the name of the foundation as well, named after your sister. Amazing. Fantastic. Good luck with all the work. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. All the best. Thanks Thank so much so for coming much. on the Shaken and Stirred show. Thank Cheers. you so much for having me. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.